Hello, sci-fi fans. This is Musetta Vander, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. And now, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows. Here are your here are your here are This is the capital. We have a little problem with our entry sequence, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Well, just put the cowboy, would you? What is this place? It's a free show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 158. I am one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I'm Miles McLaughlin. And we are back with a very special interview tonight. Yes, this is just an interview show. Well, the reason that we're doing these interview shows, Mm -hmm. we have so many interviews that we have in the can that we have to get some of these out and it doesn't make sense to do another news show right after recording another news show. So we're putting this out just as the interview, and tonight we're giving you an interview with Nicholas Eftimiades. That's a very exotic sounding name. It is. It's very. It's, <laughs> but you know, here's the deal with Nicholas. Nicholas is an author, but he's also a part of something called. Get this, Miles. He is part of the National Security Space Office. See, I've heard things like that in science fiction. I didn't I, know. I did not realize that we even had such a thing. Right. (laughs) You know? And so basically, he's a part of this uh, where he kind of led engineering teams designing national security and space capabilities that would endure past even the next generation of technology. Mm -hmm. Um, He was part of the CIA first, and they said, you know what, we need someone to man this. And so it was a kind of branch between NASA and the CIA, and lo and behold, he does this. So here comes this guy saying, hey, you know, we want you to talk about, we, we would love to come on your show to talk about a new book he's put out. So when someone like that comes on, you kind of say, yes, let's do this. Absolutely. So because it's just kind of a fascinating concept because I wasn't even aware we had such a thing. And it, it makes sense. Well, his story, his life story itself sounds interesting enough. So, um, And the fact that you get now another, a story out of it, mm-hmm. here we are. Right. But anyway, so this is a synopsis for the book that he's putting out. So just listen to this, Miles. It's 200 years in the future. Edward Temple, notice the name. A uniquely, a uniquely ordinary person becomes caught up in a zany world where self-aware, self-aware supercomputers are as argumentative, egotistical, demanding, and emotionally needy as the humans they serve. <laughs> <laughs> so he's been called by, oh, by the way, like an American Douglas Adams. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense, right? Um, everything is fair game as Edward navigates a befuddled government's psychotic software, greedy corporations, and overly attentive robots and romance. And, of course, jelly donuts find their way into the story. <laughs> Edward's drawn into a quest to discover the true nature of God, which computers believe to be more software than spiritual. Joining him in his adventure is Amanda Score, an attorney who Edward befriends, and Mega, Mega Brain, an advanced artificial intelligence software protocol that has uploaded itself into Edward's brain. Oh. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, he's been, and listen to this, you'll like this. Um, so 
here's what some people have said about this, and I'm saying this for your benefit, Miles. With his comedic dystopian future, histor- uh, uh, let me read that again. With his comedic dis- with his comedic dystopian future history populated by hapless, reluctant heroes and lovesick artificial intelligences, Nick Nick takes a big step toward becoming an American Douglas Adams, Bill Prady, co-creator of Big Bang Theory. Ooh, so he got the endorsement, kind of a Big Bang Theory. Nice. Right? And um, and it's kind of a satirical look saying, here is where we are now, 200 years. If we continue down the route we go, here's what could be happening. Mm-hmm. And that's what the story is. It, it sounds like it'd be a, a fun read. Yeah, so if you get a chance, check it out. Christmas is coming. Get a copy for yourself. Get a copy for someone else. And right. Share the love about this story. If you're a Douglas Adams fan especially and love kind of a sci-fi comedy with a serious spin. This sounds like a story that could be for you. What do you think, Miles? Something for your Kindle? I think it's I think it's a good Kindle download. Yeah. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. a good Kindle download. Mm-hmm. Well, we hope you enjoy our interview with Nicholas Eftimiatis. Someone who has been involved with space for quite a long time. And uh, tonight we're here to talk about his latest book, uh, Edward of Planet Earth. But he hasn't just been writing. He's been involved with the National Security Space Office, where they talk about national security, and especially as it re- in regards to how it deals with space. He's currently working in the UK as a, as a liaison from the DOD to the UK MOD, the UK's Ministry of Defense. Please welcome to the show, Nicholas F. Timiatis. Welcome. Thank you very much, Scott. So did I get everything right there? Yes, everything's okay, perfect. All right, right, great. Well, you're coming to us from the UK, and you're there really on special assignment. But before that, I imagine you live most of your life in the United States. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, most of my life, yes, certainly I did. Yeah, and, um, you know, primarily in the Washington, D.C. area for my adult life working for the uh, Pentagon. Very good. So let's back up. We, I, In the introduction, I said that you worked for the National Space Security Office. First of all, uh, maybe this shows my lack of connection to that, but I wasn't even aware we had a space security office. I mean, everyone's aware of NASA and what they do. Uh how did you get involved with something called the National Security Space Office? I mean, what is, first of all, tell us what it is and then how you got involved in that. Okay. What it is, is some time ago, uh, the Congress was of the opinion that the U.S. Uh, in its national security space, and by that I mean the U.S. intelligence community and the Department of Defense, weren't managing its space assets long term uh, very well because uh, these are multi-billion dollar systems. And uh, the Congress was very much of the opinion that these need to be managed in a long-term coordinated fashion. So they directed both um, the intelligence community and the Defense Department to establish an office to do strategic planning for long-term space capabilities. That office became the National Security Space Office. Hmm. So when we talk about long-term space capabilities, what kinds of things are we talking about? Well, when uh, you think about space... 
And the truth is that the technology is advanced. It costs a lot of money, $10,000 a pound to put things up into orbit. So uh, those things are going to be there for a while. So we're talking, you know, 10 years that something's going to be in space. So everyone likes to plan what capabilities they're going to need for years out. Uh, so that's how that, that type of effort is done. Now, what you have to do is think of technology roadmaps and how do you do this long term? What type of capabilities do we want on orbit and on the ground in 20 or 25 years? So that's what the office does. And it's usually a lot of... Um, Surveillance, reconnaissance type of satellites, communication satellites, and position, um, navigation, and timing, what we call GPS. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, and so, uh, and, and what got, I guess the question is, what got you interested in doing this? What got you into this? Well, I've been, uh, I've had a, a career long term within the Department of Defense and uh, was looking to move into something that was um, had a, a greater impact, a longer term impact. Uh, and this opportunity came up, uh, talked to my management and they were willing to part with me for a while to, uh, work in the national security space office. And it wound up to be seven years. Right. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Now, did, did the idea that you were doing something that was space related appeal to you? Oh yeah. I mean, that, that, that was it. I've been a long-term amateur astronomer for 20 plus years. So when I had the opportunity to actually have an impact on the design and the technology, I mean, the most advanced technology in the world that's going to be in space in the next couple of decades, I jumped on it. Oh, absolutely. That sounds fascinating um, to, to be involved in it. I, I have this love of astronomy, but never pursued it as much as I really would have liked. So I'm a uh, Totally, totally love that you were able to do this. So b backing up just a little bit, uh, we're going to be discussing your book, Edward, A Planet Earth. So science fiction based, do you have a history with science fiction? Tell us a little bit about the history, how you got into it, what sort of things influenced you, that sort of thing. Well, I have a history actually of loving science fiction, yeah, there you go. Like, like a lot of people in this business, um, but not really writing it. And um, I did, uh, I guess you would say I was influenced by Doug Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide series, um, the five-part trilogy, I think, as, as he used to call it. Uh, and sort of um, I approached this work in uh, what you could say is a satirical comedy in looking at taking the same, to be frank, the same technologies that I know are being worked on that are planned for decades out and extending that to multiple decades or a hundred years or more out. So you can see if this, if a particular technology was taken to fruition, questioning what type of impact that would have on humanity. Right. So this becomes like the possible consequences of allowing this technology to go unchecked. A absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So Douglas Adams, uh, what turned you on to Douglas Adams? Well, I, I think it was, um, uh, just in the way we, we look at things, we all have preconceived notions about how our lives unfold, you know, how, how our nation state exists and uh, what level of morality is is applicable and, and, and universal or rather I should say uh, global for all humanity. But I think Doug Adams challenged that. I think he said, well, wait a minute. 
why do you have to think that way? Why does a God have to be what we perceive it as a God? Maybe it's a, uh, um, some species believes it's a great monster that sneezed the universe into a hanky, you know I mean? That type of thing. And it's absurd, but, but it, it makes you stop and think maybe my preconceived notions are exactly just that. Right. Therapy. Right. Well, now this obviously plays into the story of Edward of planet earth for our listeners who may be unfamiliar uh, with you and your work, can you tell us a little bit about Ed, the, the premise for Edward of Planet Earth? Well, the premise is uh, an individual, and you could just call him unique in that he is perfectly average. Just your average guy. Not too fat, not too thin, doesn't excel, doesn't, you know, doesn't fail. He's just the average guy. And he gets caught up in a, um, a dramatic quest to find the true nature of God. Now, this is it's yeah. 200 years from now and computers believe and, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, as we would call it. And computers believe that there's every reason in the world to believe God is as much as a software program and a computer as it is a, as he is a human being. OK, so Edward gets dragged up into this quest, which really challenges our concept of what a God is, what life is and who's right as you start uh uh, start trying to answer that question. Now is now so this is set how many years in the future? About two hundred. About two hundred. And is there this animosity between humans and computers? Are they kind of coexistent? Um, they definitely coexist. I actually, uh, I, I not to give away, but sort of tease the audience in just a bit with that same old uh, construct of computers wanting to eliminate humanity. But you know what? computers as they develop personalities and such, they become just as argumentative and, and, and disjointed and dysfunctional as their human counterparts. So it's really just like one great big family. Hmm. So what inspired, I guess let's back up then. Where did this idea come from? Well, actually I'd like to say it was some grand scheme that I worked out in my mind, Uh, (laughs) but it really wasn't. It just, uh, I, I had taken, to be frank, a lot of the technologies that I know about and said, well, wait a minute, what happens if you do, can actually do cl- human cloning? For example, um, do we, you know, what, what does that mean for all the great people who have passed on and the possibilities of reanimating or cloning people and things like that? And do we really want those sort of things? What does, does that challenge our moral basis in humanity? So, and the same thing for manipulation of, uh, of, uh, matter on a, on a atomic level. Mm-hmm. So if you could actually manipulate matter at an atomic level and for all intents and purposes, change dirt into gold by restructuring atoms, what would gold be worth? What would the economy of the world be worth? Right. So there are all these consequences that come to some of the, the, you know, the great things that come with the technology, but they're tremendous consequences too. And, and I, I, I thought there was a need to explore that, to understand what happens to people. Uh, I mean, are people going to change? Hmm. Probably not, at least not, you know, not as we know. And if you get the same person and put them in that environment, uh, things get a little crazy. Hmm. You know, it also deals with the idea that when those things are challenged, do people's beliefs really change, you know, overall? You know, and it, it begins to explore that. I remember reading a book, and I forget who it's by by now. I don't even remember the title, but I remember they uh, they were able to take Peter, St. Peter's DNA, and uh, and bring him back to life, and he was totally unlike anything that was dep- depicted in Scripture. <laughs> oh, that's a great that's a great premise. So, but but what you were saying just kind of reminds me of 
this idea that let's clone if we clone people what would be the long-term effects of that you know and you know and, and does and would that really change people at all if at all right so yeah and yeah and there's so many technologies and 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 just ways of looking at life that that you will wonder how that will impact the species mm. now does the story play out more like a drama or is there an act is it like action adventure i mean how does it play out from that scope I would say, well, it's an action adventure, um, but but clearly satirical and comedic in form. Okay. Every every turn, Edward turns around. There's something. There's some moral dilemma or, or challenge or just something that completely is unexpected as he's as he's dealing with his computer counterparts and in this quest. And he's an unwitting, the hapless hero in this. Mm. He really doesn't want this as part of his life. Right. You know, in fact, I saw I just I saw that Bill Prady uh, from The Big Bang Theory said that ha has compared you to being the the American Douglas Adams. So it has that kind of feel to it. So. Yeah, that was that was great of him. I, I, I that's actually what made me think about uh, <laughs> Doug Adams. Yeah. Oh yeah. So he's uh, it's just um, and I I've been a lover of Douglas Adams. In fact, I have his book sitting on my shelf here. So um, I know I, I'm really looking forward to. I did not get a chance to really read the book yet. I think I have an e copy of it. And I will be reading it. Uh, just because I love Douglas Adams, so uh, and so this, I'll send you out a hard copy as well. I'm sure you. Uh, it's always nice to have a hard copy with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh, I'm sure we can get uh, Luke or someone can get the address from me, or I can get him my address. So right. Uh, so a writer. What have you always wanted to be a writer, or did you just say, you know what, I want to try my hand at this? How did that come about? Well, I had written previously uh, nonfiction. And in fact, uh, in the mid nineties, wrote a book on China, which, uh, um, ultimately had me declared an enemy of the people by the Chinese government. Oh, how nice. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, you know, my response to that is always, yeah, these people have, have no sense of humor. <laughs> Um, so I, I have been that, I have, uh, written, I've written books, I've written or th that and some other scholarly works over, over a long period, articles and things like that. Uh, but right. this was my first try at fiction and I, I, I know members of your audience, there are probably a lot of writers there and I, I don't think, uh, um, I think a writer is anything where it just comes out. Uh, maybe there's that old belief that everyone has a story inside to tell. And uh, if you can articulate it well, that that's you know fantastic. Then you're a writer. Awesome. So it's just it's just and that's kind of what pushed you out. Say, so you know what? I have the story. I want to tell it, and I'm going to write it. Yeah, that, and I think a fair amount of single malt scotch. No, that always that always helps, huh? Well, you know that's very Douglas Adams. Maybe not the malt scotch, but he certainly had that influence. But yeah, but yeah. <laughs> the, the influence of alcohol, right, uh, right. Hemingway, and I'm sure many others. Yes, yeah, yes. Uh, it's, exactly. it's sort of funny when you're sitting there and just thinking things through and walking through a, a segment of a story and saying, well, why wouldn't this happen? Right, why? Because right. it's absurd. But yeah. you know what? <laughs> Maybe that's exactly what would happen. So it, it's, it's almost one of those, you know, the potential for a life to be stranger than fiction or the two to be the same, actually. Now, is this a is this a standalone story? Are we going to be seeing more in this world of Edward? I mean, again, I'm asking this. A little bit ignorant because I haven't read the end of the story. Uh, but how does this end up for Edward, and are we going to see more? Uh, well, without giving anything away about the ending, uh, it, it does end in a direction that I, uh, I have had a lot of comments from people who have read it, that they weren't prepared for that type of ending. 
Okay. So uh, they were absolutely compared. And I, I did have a couple people that read that sort of complain and said, no, you can't do that. You, you absolutely can't, uh, you know, uh, end it like that. And, uh, but it does lend itself to perhaps more. So I, I think I'm going to start to, to continue on with this quest. So uh, what's up for the future? Is, is that the next thing? Or do you have other ideas that are swirling around to just kind of make you bite the bug and say, oh, I want to pursue more fiction? Um, or what's in the future for you, Nick? Well, I, I think uh, we're looking at, at some type of follow-on to Edward of Planet Earth. Remember, this, this is a great quest to know the, the nature of God. So right. the, the logical question that comes out, well, what happens? Does he at the end? And is there a God? And does he prove it? And, and uh, you know, what's, what's this mean to the world? Right. And as, as you go through the book, it actually does have, a, have an impact on the world. So, mm. um, so I might take that line a little further through. Right. Uh, I also do uh, teach in the evenings at uh, King's College here in London. Okay. Uh, King's College is actually a pretty, uh, their war studies department in particular, war and peace studies, is uh, globally known. And so uh, I do a lot there, and I think I might uh, extend my book or some uh, or articles in that case. Okay, very good, very good. Well, we know, we know, the, we know how they find God. The answer is 42. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I struggle with the that. Go get your towel. But no. Um, uh, well, great. Is there anything? I, I guess we need a. We, we we should share. Where can people pick up a copy of this book if they want to get their hands on it? Well, e-copies are now on on all the major outlets from Amazon to Smashwords to Sony e-reader. So it, it, it's pretty easy to get it. Um, and just look up Edward of Planet Earth. Okay. Uh, and and I think you'll say you know. I, I'm pleased in the fact that Bill Prady gave it a great review. I'm pleased in the fact Bill Nye, the science guy, also gave it an excellent review, which I was thrilled about because that's just sort of not normal that they put their name behind something if they really don't um, don't think it's a fantastic thing. So I, I I'd like I, I'm hoping your audience is uh, is as as pleased with it as those individuals were. Well, I think we have a lot of Big Bang Theory fans, so I you know if he has his name behind it, I think that. That seems to suggest that it lines up with this sort of humor, and um, certainly Big Bang Theory has that. So, um, yeah. and if they want to find out more about you, do you have a website you can direct them to? Absolutely, um, but unfortunately, the tongue twister is nicholasftimiadis.com. We should probably spell uh, that. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I, I I think actually, if anyone just gets my last name or Edward of Planet Earth, and as, as things are in cyber world, everything's linked together, so it's pretty easy to um to get to my website from there. Edward of Planet Earth, from that you know, click and 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 uh, you're you're going to see my website as soon as you search that. All right. Yeah, rather than spell out the name. But uh, right. yeah. by the way, just as a curiosity, what nationality is your name? Oh, that's as Greek as they get. That's as Greek as they get. Awesome. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to share with our audience before we wrap this interview up? Um, no, I'm just really hoping that that people get as much pleasure out of it as I know a lot have. And I'm, you know, as a writer, I, I think um, everyone has sort of the same goal to give people a great experience and for them to kind of get lost in a work, lost in a piece of art, for lack of a better uh, uh, term, and then come out of it at the end saying, gosh, I'm really, you know, their, their biggest their biggest upset thing is that it ended that the experience is now over. Right. So I, I, I'm hoping people get that, that feel from this. I mean, the fact that you had people say to you, they were upset about the way you ended it showed that they were invested in the story. And I think that's awesome. 
Yeah, that, that's actually a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, yeah, there's certainly people. I, I was a little surprised at that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and, but it, it does. It says that we're investing your story and so invested that the way you ended it really bothers me. Do something yeah. about it, Nick. <laughs> Give us a sequel, but awesome. Well, thank you uh, so much for coming on to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast and chatting with us about Edward of Planet Earth and a little bit about your career. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing what else comes down the pike for you. Thanks very much, Scott. I've enjoyed uh, I've enjoyed talking with you and your audience. 